Gary Stern celebrates his 75th birthday. Exclusive in-depth interview with Gary. Longest episode ever. Hi, my name is Jonathan Houston, and I'm the editor of Pinball Magazine, and I'm joined here with... Martin Ayer, and I'm the editor of Pinball News, and we're here with this special interview podcast to help celebrate Gary Stern's landmark 75th birthday, and uh, we can do that with um, by calling him up and having a, well, an in-depth interview with him about... His uh, his career and his life really in the in the pinball business and uh, sure we've we've got plenty to talk about isn't that right Jonathan? Well, we got seventy five years to cover, so well we won't do it in real time. No, but still there's there's uh, obviously plenty uh, to cover. Obviously, if if you're familiar with the career of uh, uh, Gary Stern in pinball, his father is uh, Sam Stern who uh, uh, designed pinball machines, uh, owned Williams. Partly, at some point, um, had a, uh, a significant role in Stern Electronics um, and uh, eventually passed away in 1984. Uh, Gary was involved in uh, working at Williams when his father was uh, uh, president over there. Uh, Stern Electronics and then uh, Pinstar, which we'll probably try to touch on as well, Data East Pinball, Sega Pinball, and then Stern Pinball. So... Um, well, we're basically going to be covering all of that, hopefully, in this in this interview, uh, looking at how those those various companies were formed, why that why they uh, ceased functioning or ceased operating, and um, what they got up to while they while they were in in uh, in pinball manufacturing. Right, and uh, they've certainly produced some some interesting and uh, well remarkable games over the years, and it, it's been a long career for Gary, and uh, it's it's far from over, and he's got got a lot to tell us, I'm sure. Yeah, so uh, so please do me the honor, and uh, could you call yeah, okay. Gary? Yeah, okay, just scrolling down to my contacts list. Okay, calling him now. Okay. Hello, it's Gary here. Oh, my God. You rang the wrong Gary. Sorry. Okay, better hang up. I'll, I'll explain it to him later, uh, what happened. Um, I'll just say you. Yeah. I can't believe it, actually. It's the... It's been Gary who's been trying to get into into our podcast for over two yeah, years now, and then the one time that he gets on and you 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 disconnect him like well, that. Well, we we have more important things to talk about, so uh, no argument there. Okay, fine. Let me call the right one. Okay, here we go. Come on, Gary Stern. Okay. Hey, welcome, Gary, and Thank happy birthday. Much. Thank you so very much. Yeah, so uh, we hope you're still in uh, good health, especially in the current circumstances. Yeah, how's everything going on with the uh, old coronavirus thing for you? And uh, you've been, obviously your travel, I guess, has been reduced significantly, not flying around the world, but are you still going into the office regularly Uh, or working from home or what? Both, both. I I haven't been out of Chicago, uh, been as far as Rockford, Illinois, but I haven't been on an airplane, haven't been out of Chicago uh, since coming home from the uh, uh, the March show in New Orleans, uh, yeah. the, mm-hmm. uh, the AE show. I went from there uh, to um, uh, Savannah to my partner Dave Peterson's daughter, Lindsay's wedding. Uh, which was lovely and home, and that was the end of it. That was just as everything right. was wrapping up. It was all locked uh, down at that point. 
Yeah, yeah, we you know mostly uh, home. The company, of course, had to uh, shortly thereafter uh, uh, stop. Other than maintaining, you know, I mean, a lot of people are working from home. Uh, uh, the uh, game design continues. Uh, some cases more efficient, some cases less efficient. Uh, you're, you know, we were allowed to have um, you know people in the building to maintain the building and to maintain the computers and make payroll and what have you. Uh, so, and I, you know, I was here a little bit, but um, I'm in the office now. I'm mm-hmm. most from the office. We have, uh, you know, our we. Our salespeople are here at least once, as a group, at least once a week, one day a week. But they, you know, they're working from home. We do. We're experts on Zoom. We do <laughs> Zoom. We all are now. Yeah, yeah, and um, and uh, uh, the production people. We're increasing production. We're building games. We're shipping games. Uh, uh, we were uh, allowed to start production. Uh, on uh, by the each state in the U.S. has different rules, so we were allowed to start production on uh, March sure. uh, uh, March 29th. Uh, excuse me, May 29th. Yeah, yeah, and um, so we we're up to uh, you know in the factory itself of the hourly workers, we've got about a, we're already up to 120. Um, I got to turn that off. <laughs> Well, you're a busy guy. I'm sure you're. Uh, that must be Gary calling in, just trying to get back at us. <laughs> so we, uh, so we're building games, uh, and we've got we've got a lot of back orders to fill, um, which we're yeah. thrilled about. Yeah. Um, well, so, so if, if people went to the factory now, uh, compared to when they went, um, you know, say the the expo tour last year, what what differences would they notice um, oh, as far as the the, um, you know, the the factory floor and and the working practices and the social distancing and all that kind of stuff? First of all, you would come in the back door only. The front door is not available. The we're going to switch to the side to the, uh, the normal employee entrance, but we were going right from the back where the parking lot was. We'll right. switch that next week, but there will still be one door only. And whether you uh, work here or your supplier visiting or whatever, your temperature would be taken and noted. Uh, and if it's over a hundred, uh, we. Uh, don't we have you not come in mm-hmm. um, and uh, they work working people come they, they, the factory workers coming in when they're all coming at once we've got uh, space um, uh, we have uh, you know markers every six feet so standing in six foot you know apart from each other I came in same time as everybody else as I was here about 6:15 one morning and uh, I stood in line six foot from everybody else uh, you have to have a mask on of course. Uh, and then once you're in the building, you'd see that we've uh, created uh, dividers uh, uh, in the uh, in the uh, uh, like the like the cafeteria. You guys remember where we have the cafeteria tables? Yeah. So between every you know. Between the workstations, so, there's a divider, and people can only sit. They, nobody can sit across from each other. So one right. per divided section. The microwaves are turned off because uh, we really don't want to be handling people's food. Um, yeah. There are all kinds of dividers in the assembly area. The assembly line is divided uh, at big red X's where you can't 
be standing to work. Um, unless you're in your own office, for, and you're an office worker, you're, you're wearing a mask. If I go out to the factory, I have a mask on. Um, we have some face shields, and for the, the few places where people are closer than six foot to each other, uh, for example, packing a game, uh, then they have a face shield for sure on. Other people have it on. Uh, so uh, we, the factory, uh, we have a service come in here uh, once, a, once a week to do a major sanitizing. We have uh, um, uh, each we 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 own a heck of a lot of hand sanitizer, <laughs> uh, and in fact we got we got a five thousand dollars skid of sanitizer. But before that, we were getting it. Um, you know, when we had a limited number of people, before we could get that, we have uh, we had uh, various uh, distilleries, liquor manufacturers mm. here were making. Uh, we're making it, uh, making sanitizer. So uh, they, uh, Kevin, our COO, came in and said, "Here, smell this." And I said, "That's not, that's tequila." <laughs> said, "Yeah, it was from a tequila maker." I said, "Well, if you if you use that to sanitize your hands, don't drive your car right away and get stopped by the police because he's gonna think <laughs> your truck is smell like tequila." You know? Right. So, so, good stuff. All, all kinds of stuff. The woodworking areas, all you know, we got you know, we do our own play fields here, and uh, uh, many of them with two sources, of course, like everything else. But we do a good percentage of them, and that's all kinds of dividers. And there. there's all kinds of. We're still building. We're still changing as we add more people, uh, and we're adding you know people all along. We need to get our production rate up. Um, well, that's, uh, that's great to hear. I'm, right. uh, I'm pleased that uh, you've. I mean, obviously, it's been a lot of work for everyone to try to adjust to this new working practice. But, but you know, congratulations on 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 coming back. Thank you. And, and as you know, it's sometimes a little uncomfortable wearing the mask, but we uh, we have to. I hope it's not. Well, guys, I hope it's blowing up here, and I hope it's not supposed to rain. I hope it doesn't, because I rode my motorcycle to work. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I, I think just that alone, real. 75 and driving a motorcycle, that just simply deserves an applause. No, that's no big deal. So my daughter said to me, you know, uh, my my younger daughter, who does some digital work for us, so she's a um, she's also... Uh, expecting my first grandchild, who we call Sprout. Uh, Congratulations on that as well. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I have a granddaughter on uh, on the other side, and uh, now I have a grandson due July twenty second. And any event, so she says, well, now you'll, you'll you'll see what it's like to be retired. And I said, no, wait, a minute. wait a minute. This is the fact that I, you know, I, I you know, I I have to be at home or this or that. That's not retired. If I was retired, I mean, there's no biking, there's no motor, motorcycle biking, there's no boating, there's no boarding, snow, snowboarding, and those are the three things I do except in addition to work. Uh, in fact, my boat is, uh, you know, I have a, a, an old boat and it is not in the water. I can't even get the boatyard on the phone. It's really annoying me uh, because the harbors aren't open yet because oh. In, in the city of Chicago, the city of Chicago where I live, uh, my apartment is, the, the factory, as you know, is west of the airport in Elk Grove Village. Mm -hmm. yeah. The city of Chicago has, uh, you know, has its own tighter rules even than the state has. So Yes, yes, I saw that. Yeah. Well, so, okay. um, so anyway, that's the... Um, that's where we are now, but um, let's let's go back to the beginning, as it were. Then, shall we? Um, 
you know, 75 years ago almost. And um, just the question we have to ask then is, um, do you remember your your first time seeing or interacting with a pinball machine? And, and did, did you have pinball machines in your home or anything when you were, when you were a kid? We had, we, we had some different games. We had some pinball. We had a, a bumper pool table because uh, right. we were making those. So we had all various things. I also had, I shared with a friend a pet rabbit. And the rabbit lived, remember the old electromechanical games in the back box mm-hmm. at a, a wood back, and later a metal back. Yeah. Right. And it had a hole in the neck in the bottom that the wires came through. Yes. Mm-hmm. The rabbit's cage was a back box with chicken wires stapled on the laying on laying on the back uh, with a chicken wire stapled uh, across where the backlash would have been and where the wires would have gone through a little door built there and that's where the rabbit lived. So huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, multi-purpose but uh, back box. Pardon? And that's a multi-purpose back box, I'd say. Yes, absolutely. And I had in my desk uh, you know, in my in my little desk in my in my room that I was supposed to do my homework on, I had uh, you open the drawer and I had my pop bumper caps and my posts that I would move around. I also had uh, yeah, you guys aren't familiar so much with our baseball machines. You you guys might be. If you're oh, listening. Yeah. yeah, but you know, remember we had a man running unit in the back. Mm, yeah, and in those days. The men that were running, they would, they, you know, they pop up from uh, from laying down up ninety degrees, yeah. and then yes. they walk around. And they were made of cardboard, uh, s- s- riveted to a wire form. And later they were made of plastic, but uh, they were they were car- uh, uh, cardboard. And I had all kinds of those in my desk too that I used to, uh, I used to. Um, uh, play baseball and little baseball games in my uh, instead of doing my homework. So I, yeah. I, 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 I had pinball parts and 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 baseball game parts in my desk, and I used those instead of homework. Huh. So at this point, was was your father um, was he the president of of Williams at that point, or was this before that? Was, um, was this when 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 uh, Harry Williams was still in charge? Well. <laughs> Harry was the designer, and Sam was the sales guy, business guy, when they came in. You remember, it was 1947. Uh, you don't remember this, but it was... <laughs> we were not around. Sorry about and, and that. I really <laughs> don't remember it very well either, because I was two. Yeah. So in 1947, my father had been, he was a, uh, a game distributor. He'd been an operator, and then he became a game distributor, which in those days, many of the distributors or resellers of games that were selling to other operators were operators first, and then they became distributors. And that way they got the games cheaper and sooner as an operator, but they ended up concentrating on selling. And he came into Chicago, you guys have heard this story before, and uh, to see Harry Williams and when the factory was over on Huron Street, and uh, he kidding around, sat behind Harry's desk, put his feet up. He was a 35-year-old punk kid, which I can say because I'm 40 years old. And uh, kidding, Harry said, why don't you sell me the company? So Harry said, I'll have to think about that, and went up in his airplane and flew around Chicago for three hours, came down and sold my father half of Williams. So, and Sam started in, in, in doing sales. You know, he moved to Chicago. with The family moved in 48. When I was three, he moved to Chicago, and uh, 
and I've been around it all that time. He um, uh, initially, in the beginning, as I said, he did sales. They didn't even let him in the factory, even though he owned half of it. Uh, <laughs> but ultimately, you know, he's Harry was a, a designer. He wasn't a business guy. He didn't want to uh, be the business guy, and uh, and uh, Harry was like a second father. But he he uh, he he turned it all over to Sam very quickly. Right. As far as running it, uh, but Harry Harry was in design, and and, uh, and uh, so uh, he he, he listened to design. Right. Of course, Harry carried on designing for many years after he left the company, didn't he? Yeah, absolutely. He does. He was with us always, even after he sold his his half to Sam. He was with us always. Uh, he uh, you know he'd work out of Palm Springs and come back to uh, uh, to Chicago, L.A. area first, but then Palm Springs, and he'd come back to Chicago uh, and. Uh, uh, even when when Sam went to Bally for a year or two, uh, Harry became Bally's consultant instead of Williams' consultant, and then back with us at Williams, and then at the Old Stern. Uh, of course, neither of them survived uh, long enough to see this company because mm-hmm. my father died in '84, and we started this in '86. Right. So um, now you mentioned uh, that your father bought Williams in uh, 1947, and um, I'm just wondering, uh, the flipper was actually introduced in 1947. At that point, was the flipper already introduced or had that still to come? Do you remember? I don't know, but that's a very good question. I don't know if if, if that if he bought right before or right after Humpty Dumpty. I don't know the answer to that. That's an interesting question. We'll never know, I guess, because uh, I, I don't think we'll know. Uh, the only thing that, the only chance we have, I have... I have got to clean out the storage area. Uh, I've been, lived in my apartment building 13, 14 years, and I have a storage cage down below. And I have two boxes, you know, like file file cabinet boxes, full of old Sam, uh, his financial stuff. I've got his canceled checks. <laughs> he died in 84, and I've got years of canceled checks. I just got to throw out. And I may have some document in there that, that would relate to the purchase, his investment in Williamson. If I can get the date he invested, that'll tell you, you know, then we can get the date of Humpty Dumpty. But I don't know. I'm going to try and get to that in the next few weeks. I thought I would get to it during this, uh, you know, uh, uh, stay at home, but uh, I didn't. I just yeah. meaning to get to it for, uh, oh, about 10 years. Okay. Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of really valuable information there, and, and, and plenty of people would love to to see that. Please yeah, be careful not to throw anything up. away. That stuff's not so interesting. What I have that's probably more interesting is a, a couple briefcases uh, that were Harry's stuff that after he died, his wife sent me, and I had to send them over to the Strong Museum, you know, the, uh, the, the Museum of, of play. play. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, they, they'll keep all that stuff. I have to send that to them. Right. So, um, obviously, your father uh, was a president at Williams um, in the '60s. Uh, you also worked there, um, I believe, oh, yeah. in, the, in in the stockroom. Uh, but did you also have a job position there, or was that too young for well, you? When I when I was 16 in the summers, I could drive, and I uh, my summer job 
for the first number number of years was uh, you know while I was in school was at Williams and I, I started in the stockroom at 16. I was in the office some other years working on learning inventory control and it was all manual. There were no computers. Uh, you know, we, we had a card system. Uh, when you decided to make a uh, hundred games, you added, you know, on every card that had that part for that part, you had to add a requirement of a hundred. When the parts came in, you deducted it, and there was there was nothing like a computer system we have now. And uh, we're we're in the midst of uh, of putting in a new ERP system. Uh, sort of got slowed up with this uh, uh, COVID nineteen situation. ERP uh, system, do you say? ERP computer. ERP. All right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You. Yeah. Hey. You understand it better than I do. I know. Um, uh, so, any event. Um, uh, but uh, I, I and I. I one summer I was a personnel manager for a short time because <laughs> uh, just it was a hole somebody had to do. I also worked summers. I my undergraduate degrees in accounting, so I worked one summer for a major accounting firm and determined that that wasn't how I wanted to spend the rest of my life. Um, and uh, so, so, um, so were you, were you actually? Did you actually have a job title, or were you just a sort of? Um, no, I was in the jack, stock jack of all trades no, yeah, yeah. to well, um, diminish the. the many uh, years ago, uh, you know, I you know I, after I. You know, I got an undergraduate degree in uh, in in accounting, right. BPA, Bachelor of Business Administration, and um, Luna Castro, who was the head of Seberg at the time, tricked me into continuing education. I went to law school, and I practiced law for a couple of years, including representing some of the game companies, and then I went to work Williams full time, and uh, so people would ask me. Uh, you know, well, I'm talking to you. What's your authority? What's your title? What's your authority? I said, boss's son. And he said, okay, I understand. And we can carry on now. <laughs> right. So okay. my title is boss's son. <laughs> so um, from all those roles, I mean, what were there any sort of things that you you, you brought from that which carried you through, carried through your career in the pinball business, you know, the, the importance of, of certain aspects of the business? and. Yeah, well, and managing them? Probably everything. Certainly material control. Uh, you know, I built test fixtures, so I understand, you know, uh, life testing and, uh, you know, quality and so forth. Material control, you know, we, we are game designers and we have creating a global lifestyle brand. But first, you know, first we have to be able to manufacture it. And you've undoubtedly heard me say before that guys that are car guys love cars and they design cars and they build cars. Uh, Aya Coker or somebody from uh, Chrysler. <laughs> I don't want to mention DeLorean, but that type of thing. Mm. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, and likewise, you know, they want to design the car, they want to build it, so A, somebody enjoys it, and B, so they make money with it, so they can design the next car. Well, the same's true here. We want to design pinball so we can play it. I have a turtles in my apartment because I had to learn it. Uh, and uh, and um, uh, we um, we uh, and we want to design the next one. Uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, so we need to make money on this one so we have money to design it. Certainly more complex now. Harry Williams used to say when he was working with us at, 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 at the Old Stern, and he'd say, well, you know, I used to be able to do everything in the game. I could, I could come up with an idea. I could draw it. Mm-hmm. I could draw the circuit. 
I could make the white wood, I could make some of the mechanical parts, and by drawing the circuit, I could make it work, I could do the wiring. Make it work. Now, this was back then, now he could do the drawing, but somebody else had to do the, the electronics design, and somebody had to do the software, and so forth and so on, and it was much more complex. Well, I, watched, I just watched everybody do everything, but certainly... As I started to say, material control. If you don't have the parts here, you can't build the games and you send the workers home and they can't, you know, we have a responsibility to provide work. Um, if you have too many of the parts, you got to throw them out and there went the money that you were going to use to design the next game. It is, it is first and foremost a business, you know, and we're creating, you know, a, a game, a lifestyle. And certainly in today's world, much more than ever, because as you know, we have, we have, collectors and enthusiasts, we have rec room buyers, and we certainly have young people, millennials and Gen Zs, playing games in the streets in our new barcades and what have you, uh, and, and, and FECs and so forth. So, you know, we, we are, we're cool and became a lifestyle. So, um, so going back to, to those days, I mean, the games were, were very much, as you said, um, with your father, they were sold through distributors to operators, yeah, and at some point, operators would replace the you know the last game with the new one and throw out the old game. Mm-hmm. Pinball, I guess, at that point was like a almost like a disposable product, um, and and there wasn't really a, a, a secondary market for those games. In fact, operators often didn't want a secondary market; they didn't want their competition to get hold of them. So well, there was a there was a good, good throughput of games. They did resell games, you know, trade them into their distributor, and, and they did, you know, the, pinball has always had a resale value, but certainly been more significant now. But it always had some resale value. Although I, you know, I, you know, with the hard coat that we have on playfields, and they last so much longer now. Not perfect, but you know, longer. And it's not a hard coat; it's a soft coat. That's a misnomer. I don't know who decided to call it a hard coat. But any event, uh, I I can remember when it was first started. I said, "Oh my, what have what have we done? Well, we'll have no yeah. more games wearing out." And now the fact that they don't wear out creates a, a you know creates that great value, that resale value for the secondary market, whether it be operators or enthusiasts or rec room buyers, any three of our uh, three channels. So now we're thrilled that we have that that, that we we have them lasting. Okay. Well, you, you mentioned that um, that after you finished school or, or college you you um well basically you you were a lawyer at that point yeah yeah um, I, i'm still a lawyer i haven't been disbarred i no longer pay you know um, pay you are, my, you. my continuing education i don't have time anymore i'm too busy with this so uh, what was your specialism then what was your area of, of expertise in law i was a corp i worked for a corporate a small boutique corporate law firm. We did a lot of bank work and we did corporate bankruptcies. And in fact, if you think about that, uh, the, uh, you know, uh, uh, I, I had, you know, I took Chicago coin out of a bank foreclosure and that, you know, that was one of the things that we did in those that I had learned to do. Yeah. Yeah. I was a financial (laughs) lawyer. You know, bank, bank law, finance law, so that kind of thing. And, and, and how long did you uh, did you do that for before uh, getting branded in Pimble? Not long enough to be good. They tell you it takes you about 
you know, five years, three to five years of practice before you're really, you know, in the swing of it. I, you know, I clerked as a lawyer, so that meant I went to court you know, with motion calls or not, not appearing before the judge, or not intentionally. Once or twice, uh, I was in front of the judge, and he got confused and thought I was the lawyer, and I didn't say that I wasn't, so I could have gotten in trouble. But uh, the, uh, uh, I practiced for two years. Uh, which is really practice because you really need more than that to be a competent practicing lawyer. It gives you enough, you know, uh, to understand. You know, my undergraduate degree is in accounting, which is a language of business. If you don't understand the numbers of the business, you can't decide or understand what it's doing. Uh, that's how you analyze. And uh, um, it. Um, uh, and then I practiced law for a couple of years, which gives you a good background understanding things. I, I must tell you that a lot of the law has changed since the days I practiced. Of course. Yeah. So, so why did you stop? When? Why? Why? Because I – two reasons I'm going to tell you. One is I wanted to be in the pinball business. <laughs> and the other is that – as a lawyer, you're dealing with other people's problems. And I probably lost more sleep over handling a pro bono case for an indigent or a small businessman's difficulties uh, than any, you know, any big case. You represent a big bank, they're big enough, you make a mistake, they can fix it or you can fix it or something. Uh, and um, so I wanted to be in a pinball business and other people's personal problems really, you know, although I'm involved in, a, you know, in, 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 in good work, shall we say, um, I lost too much. <laughs> I just, it's, 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 it's uh, very trying. Um, and I felt that that wasn't what I, how I wanted to spend my life. I'm happy to help some people, but not as a, being my profession to help people. It's just right. not, you know. Whereas, whereas I can have, help people have fun and enjoy themselves and, 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 and uh, you know, yes, we need uh, food and a roof over our house, our heads, uh, you know, good health, but um, amusement is, in, in, in a uh, modern world, is, a, is as much a necessity when we're past survival. That's true. Yeah. So, you know, I've always said, and you've heard me say uh, that uh, the world would go on without pinball, but a uh, little bit of the fabric of life would be gone. So we we are here, being sure that we uh, keep that fabric of life uh, going, and that we uh, uh, we also make work for people and provide jobs because that's capitalism, and that's how people, you know, working is how you make your money and get your food and so forth. Right. So, so your father obviously has a, a very long history in the pinball business. You wanted to be in the pinball business, and and obviously made found found a way to get in. Um, is there anybody else in your family who's who's involved in pinball in, in any way? Um, only in the sense that, um, well, uh, first of all, my um, three-year-old granddaughter is becoming very good. Uh, they have uh, they have a. Uh, and uh, and if something's wrong with the game, a ball got stuck or something, she calls me. They put her on the phone. Um, they have a, an ACDC and a uh, one of George's uh, Batman. Mm -hmm. uh, 
and, and that Batman, that was funny. That Batman um, was was a damaged game, so they got it, and it was, uh, and uh, it went to Lizzie, my younger daughter. And she was in college, and she was talking to my older daughter, Erin, and uh, and there was a knock at the door. She was in Indiana in college. And uh, she said, oh, Aaron, that's my pinball machine. I got to go. She, Aaron said, you're what? You got a pinball machine? And next, you know, my phone rings. Lindsay's getting a pinball machine, Aaron says. I never got a pinball machine. How come she's getting a pinball machine? Why don't I have a pinball machine? <laughs> so, great. Well, so Lindsay had the pinball machine. We, we moved to the Chicago when she moved up here. And... Um, was in a house she was sharing with some girls, and then, then she uh, uh, she was moving to Denver. So Aaron calls me. Lindsay's moving. She can't take the pinball machine. Can I have the pinball machine? I said, "Okay, Aaron, you can." Now Lindsay calls me. You gave away my pinball machine. Why'd you give away my pinball machine? You can't win, can you? Boy, I'll get you another one another day. You know, it's all about the pinball machine. So, any event, yes, they've had pinball. But, but when you started, there was no, there was no, um, never brother or anybody else who was involved in the pinball. No, my, my brother is a retired surgeon now. He's he's older than I am. Uh, he's um, sixty nine, uh, and so uh, no, he doesn't. He's not in the business. My, How is he older than you are? <laughs> if he is sixty nine and you're turning seventy five, seventy nine. Whoa. Seventy nine. Sorry, good catch. Good catch. He, he was born in forty one. Uh, and I was born in forty five. Uh, so, yep, yep, good catch. So he uh, and um, uh, my uh, uh, my my uh, kids, you know, are ones in digital marketing and the others in uh, in uh, in the film business. She's a uh, Assistant, uh, she's in the director's guild. She's a, a second AD and assistant director. Mm, so, so with your your father being in pinball so much and you being in pinball so much, your brother was the one who got away then. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, my father had his son the lawyer and his son the doctor. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, so you decided that you were going to get into pinball. You're going to leave law, get into pinball. Yeah. Where did you go from there? I went to work at Williams, and. Uh, uh, you know, I went to work for my father as the boss's son. I uh, was his assistant, and uh, I had a unique authority. I don't know. I was, he was running the company, but I was sort of his number two. But, you know, there was some big professionals in charge of uh, engineering and professionals in charge of uh, sales and professional in charge of the factory. Uh, I, uh, I, you know, I, we... I, I was we had a union in, in in that in that factory and I, I uh, you know it was it was a more integrated business uh, in those days both there and when I took over Chicago coin where we we had we wound our own coils we made our own stack switches we we made our own transformers we had our own plating department to plate the metal we didn't do woodworking uh, we made our own wiring harnesses, of course, which we do at, at, at Stern here. Um, we, and so we had, you know, where where we maxed out here, uh, where we've had uh, 350 people, so let's say um, 300, 250, 300 in the factory. In those days, you would have 
800, 1,000 people in the factory and you were a union shop. And um, we, um, uh, I remember negotiating with the union and I had sitting behind me, I had the personnel manager. I had uh, the um, uh, uh, manufacturing uh, vice president and I had the finance vice, vice president. And uh, on the other side was the union business agent, Harry Weaver and probably a committee of 11 or 12. And he got mad at me one day. He had started in our stockroom as a worker. Right. He became the union business agent, uh, IBEW, International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. Uh, they represented a couple. They, were, they had Chicago Coin. They had, uh, I think they had Bally in this, when they were in the city, and they had Williams. And he said to me one day, he got mad, we were negotiating, and he, he got mad and said, I should have left you in that box and shipped you out. Because <laughs> when I was a kid, you know, eight, ten years old, I was down at the factory on a Saturday with my father playing in the stockroom and got in a box, and he pretended to, to staple it up and ship me out, you know? So, so yeah, we went way back, even though we were on either sides of that table. You know, he was a good guy. He was a good guy. He believed in industrial justice, you know, treating people fairly, you know. It's very, very, you know, he was a good guy. Good Just thinking about the timeline of, of all this, because you, you also come out of college about, what, in 73, 74, uh, something like that? No, 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 no. I graduated high school in 63. I graduated college in 67. I graduated law school after six months of active duty in the military, and then six years uh, after that, uh, you know, I was I was in the army as a reservist. Um, so I graduated law school in uh, January of 70, 67, 68, 69, 70, 71, January of 71. I was a six behind because of the six months of active duty in the military. Sure. Okay. So then you... That's, that's where I learned to type. Oh, what? Uh, on, on, on duty? Yeah, I was a, yeah, I was, I was a clerk typist. Hell on keys. That, that's, that was our motto for our company. Hell on keys. <laughs> there were no computers. <laughs> there was no computers. So then you... Um, well, I suppose to jump to the next stage is, is the point where you, you bought out Chicago Coin. Yeah, yeah, we bought that. Uh, that happened, and, and, and what, did it, what did it give you um, in terms of um, starting a, a new company? Yeah, we, we had left uh, Williams, uh, Sam and I, and I did some, uh, uh, Stephen Kaufman, a sales, sales guy, and I, we had a little company called Kiss, Kiss Amusements. It worked out of my, my apartment, uh, and we were selling Bellfruit and Seaberg slot machines to Canada. They had a unique law. They had legalized free play pinball machines. But up to then, there was no free plays allowed on pinball in Canada. So they legalized the free play. And the laws were in English, parallel English and French. Yeah. Canada. And somewhere, uh, coin in a slot and free play was translated to slot machine and free play. So we were selling free play only slot machines. I don't know why people would play that. I haven't figured it out yet and what was done with those free plays. Uh, and so we were doing that out of Kiss. Kaufman, my, my buddy, he was the president of the company and I was the secretary because 
you know, you have a corporate secretary and you have a corporate president. The reason I was the secretary is, as I said, I could type. So and and was, 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 was the name the name Kiss from the initial Kiss. letters of of all of you? Uh, no, keep it simple, stupid. Oh, it was that one. Okay, it was all st- yeah, Stern, was Stern, Kaufman. You know. No, no, it was keep it simple, stupid. Uh, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. And then, and then we we had the opportunity. I did. Uh, my father knew the bank that was the lender. The guy's uh, Cole Taylor. I'm still. I am. I. I still do my banking. This was '76. I still do my personal. And our company banking now is uh, at a company that is the successor or survivor uh, of Cole Taylor of that bank in 1976 that was owed money by uh, Chicago Coin. And Sam uh, knew the, uh, he was he was uh, 67 or so, let's see, it was, he was born in 12, and that was... 77 or something seven, like that, was it? Yeah, that was uh, 76, 76, I think, late 70s. Okay. So he was semi-retired, and uh, my sister-in-law had said, "You've got to get him a job. He's cleaned my closets twice this week." <laughs> uh, and uh, and uh, so uh, coincidentally, uh, guys he knew uh, were the bankers for Chicago Coin and uh, the uh, the Wahlberg and the Ginsburg family, and uh, the company was troubled. Uh, uh, so they. They foreclosed and sold us the the assets. We had a nice. Uh, Sam died in '84. We had a nice. He, but and he came to work half a day, and it was, it was, it was really, it was, it was, it was fascinating. Uh, and we had a run up and a run down because uh, the business went up and then came da- came back down and so forth. And uh, uh, we closed that. He he passed, and then two years later, I started this company, as Data East. Right. Okay. Uh, so, so you're jumping ahead a little bit because um, I'm actually wondering how did Stern Electronics get started? Was that uh, based on on the assets that you got from yeah. buying Chicago Coin? Yeah, yeah, we bought you the assets of Chicago Coin out of a bank foreclosure. And, Which, uh, what were those assets? Did you get a factory? Did you get tooling, equipment, um, designs, inventory? Uh, we didn't have much in designs, but inventory, drawings, uh, factory equipment. We just turned, you know, it started. We started one day as as us, you know, it closed and uh, they had an auction and and we reopened it and brought people back in. Same uh, electrical worker union, uh, yeah. But remember, that was my background in law. Sure. That. I mean, how long would it have been then between? Um, Chicago Coin closing or stopping manufacturing, I should say, and and you buying them and then starting up again. Months, really? Just Months, that? not years. Months. Okay. So, and uh, the intention with uh, Stern Electronics was it just to make pinball because you also did a lot of uh, arcade games. We did video games. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't do arcade like you know. Remember, Chicago Coin did a lot of guns and and baseball games. Even though Williams did baseball games and so forth, we did some shuffle alleys, puck bowlers, and we we did a lot of video later. Uh, but the business went up and came back down, and we uh, uh, we it's, it's not a great secret that uh, we were. Ace Greenberg, the head of Bear Stearns at the time, was going to take us public, and we missed the window. And uh, 
So be life. So be life. I would I would have been too rich. <laughs> There's no such thing as too rich. <laughs> Pardon? There's no such thing as being too rich. I think it was it was the wife decades and decades ago. The wife of the boss at Bloomingdale's, the department stores, said you can't be too thin or too rich. <laughs> But I'm not going to agree with that. You know, I think that uh, you know, too much, too too young, it can be harmful. Yeah, true. So I mean, we hear a lot of talk and in seminars and um, in exhibitions about manufacturing facilities at Bally and Williams and Gottlieb. We never really hear much about what you had going on at, at Stern. It was same electronics. Thing. You know, where was where was the factory? What was it like? Tell us, tell it us was, something. It was it. the same. It was 110,000 square foot at 17, wow. 17 uh, which is, now 110 is what we have. Maybe it was 140. I'm not sure. I think it was 140. Uh, at 1725 West Diversi, which was basically the same neighborhood as uh, Bally, which was on Belmont. Uh, mm -hmm. We were, uh, uh, it was on Belmont uh, um, a mile from us. And, and, and Williams, after it moved from, uh, the, from um, uh, 4242 West Fillmore, it moved to 3401 North California, which was yeah, famous. around the block from, uh, from, that was the old Linda Ann factory, around the block, Universal, around the block from um, uh, Bally. And we had the same thing. We had wound our own coils. We made our own switches, the same International electrical work, Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. Um, uh, 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 made our own harnesses. We had punch presses, the old style punch presses that from the 40s and 50s. Uh, Williams were from the 50s. Ours were probably from the 40s. Uh, and it was the same, same kind of thing, just a little smaller. But same thing as Bally and Williams. Right. Old school. Old school. Fully. Very. Very inter vertically integrated manufacturing. Right. And why, why was it done that way back then rather than the way it's done now where a lot, lot, we have a lot of more, more other companies producing uh, components and, and uh, assemblies for you? Well, why, why did every company want to keep it in-house? Um, I think that that was – I think you're talking about the difference in, in – in, 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 I believe that's true of manufacturing in general. Um, Uh, there's very less vertical and more horizontal, uh, you know, it's more hor mm. horizontal, very little, not as much vertical in manufacturing. Yeah. And, and one thing about it is if you're vertical, you've got a lot of overhead. And so your flexibility is more limited because you, you're, you've got to make X number of games to, you know, to, you, you've got to make X number of games to break even. And you, yeah, I was taught you don't figure break even or that's all you're going to do, but I do. Uh, and uh, whereas if you have a slow up and you're not vertically integrated, then you don't buy, you don't have, somebody else owns all that equipment and they got to find other work for it. Um, so, uh, and another aspect of it is that when you buy a component, you know what it costs you. When you buy, when you make that component, you estimate the cost. How much labor am I going to have in it, and so forth? Uh, and you have all the variables to it. You have a fixed cost when you buy it. You have a variable cost when you make it yourself. Well, this is jumping, so, there's, jumping there's ahead pluses, a lot, but 
there's pluses to both ways of it. Um, sure. I think a more modern trend certainly is uh, is uh, 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 less uh, vertical integration. Yeah, that's what I was going to just jump ahead very briefly and, and say, you know, these days, I mean, you, you mentioned earlier that you make, make your own play field, for instance, in some cases, you know, not all of them, but how, how do you decide what would be a good um, manufacturing product to bring in-house okay. or, or one which should be, um, you know, should be sent out to, to uh, suppliers? Yeah. Good question. One is the investment in equipment, which the playfield did, did require a lot of investment. Mm -hmm. um, uh, another is the labor content. We make our own wiring harnesses. It's, it's, it's labor. Uh, and if we have somebody else do it, it's going to take them just as long and the same amount of labor, uh, except they're going to they're going to mark that up to us. So, you know, it makes sense to make it. And the third reason is for control. Uh, in the case of cables, then why don't you make them in China? The problem is the lead time and the changeover in the game business is such that you really need to be more flexible than shipping a bunch of cables wiring harnesses from China. And this is not the typical wiring harness, you know, that you see in your computer. You plug one end into the monitor and one end into the computer. This is, you know, this is uh, down from a half mile to a quarter mile of wire, but uh, a lot of breakouts, a lot of uh, daisy chaining, a lot, you know, a, a very complex cable. When I say down, when we went from uh, the, uh, the, um, uh, White Star Sam, what have you, system, mm -hmm. uh, which was a um, um, a matrix system to a bus system uh, that reduces uh, a lot of the cabling and it's much smarter and, and allows you to do a lot more things than, than we could have done in in the past. So uh, and um, so part of it is is cost, part of it is flexibility, um, part of it is investment, and part of it, talking about playfields, is what is the most important thing that you need to be sure that you have that is unusual that you must have and the backbone of a pinball machine is a playfield we were having a lot of trouble with playfield supply um, having it uh, on time having it uh, good enough and so forth and decided that this is something we had to take control of we do have a second source making play fields for us. Um, we do part of the work. We don't do all of it. Uh, we don't have a big machine that, that, that prints play fields, and we certainly don't silk screen the old way. That's long gone. They're printed. Yeah. Oh, digitally printed now. Yeah. Digital printing, that's modern. Uh, and that's, you know, those are uh, three, $400,000 machines that have a limited life. Um, uh, to them, so uh, better somebody else is doing uh, doing other things. So so it's equipment cost, but the wood itself and the routing it and getting it done timely, we have control of the whole process and we do the, a good part of it ourselves. Although even the part we do, we have a second source for. Right. right. Okay. I, um, well, that's yes. what we're going to be doing yes. now. I, I, I know Jonathan's got some good questions about Wait. about we're how things work. Plan. And the game itself is very important. But um, we, you know, we, we do have to consider the manufacturing, and that, that is also very, very, very important. Right. So um, if we're going back to, to Stern Electronics for, for, for just a bit, um, when, when, you, when you bought Chicago Coin, 
and started manufacturing, you started out as uh, producing electromechanical games. Uh, that was only for like the first two or three games, and yes, then yes, yes and no. We finished what I'm not going to claim is our game, uh, Rawhide. Uh, you know the Rawhide games, right? Which were on the line, and they were. Um, they were uh, uh, electromechanical. Our first game of our own, which is in my office, is Pinball by Stern. Right. Yeah. With that big ball rolling down the play field, in the, in the back class, rolling down the city. And that, that happened to have come, that artwork was on a Chicago coin calendar. And so we, um, we um, uh, uh, that game was built both solid state and electromechanically. And remember, the first solid state games had the same rules, even though you could do something different with uh, with um, um, uh, solid state. They had the same rules as electromechanical. They had chimes, uh, you know, in them. They didn't have electronic sounds, so forth and so on. So it was the same game. And it's it, what, what happened was that we knew that operators were not familiar with solid state electronics and they could fix electromechanical, so we knew that they would want more electromechanical games and less solid state games. Just as in 1953, Raymond Lowy, a great designer, designed the Studebaker the two-door version, which was sporty and low. And Studebaker knew that car buyers wanted the four-door family car. And so they planned on three-quarters of the production being the four-door and one-quarter being the Lowy, Raymond Lowy, low, sleek, sporty two-door. Of course, the public wanted, wanted three-quarters of their demand was for the Raymond Lowy, because it was modern and special looking and one quarter was for the Studebaker four-door upright car. Likewise, with solid states, Bally found the same thing, Uh, whereas we thought most operators would want and did want, as a matter of fact, electromechanical. The solid state game, which played the same, earned more money because the player saw something new and that was a, a gas discharge display. Mm-hmm. And that was revolutionary. And style change like that, whether it be the gas discharge display or whether it be um, uh, uh, a dot matrix display uh, or ramps being added to games, uh, those those are the things that that got games, you know, obsoleted old games and made new games exciting. Right. So, but was the transition from uh, electromechanical to solid state was that a smooth one? Because we know that Gottlieb really struggled with it. So, well, God, Gottlieb struggled. They didn't want to do it, um, and they they were playing around with Rockwell and uh, um, and a four bit microprocessor, whereas the rest of us used the eight bit microprocessor. processor. And God, I don't know what I just said. I have no idea what that means. Um, but yeah, they they struggled with it, and they never really made it there. You know, you remember their system was yeah. But but uh, was it a smooth transaction for you in the sense that you had to come from 
uh, electromechanical, and all of a sudden you needed a solid-state system to drive these pinball machines. Uh, well, you, you know, at Stern, at, at Old Stern, we reverse-engineered the Bally system. And made some changes to it, but we reverse-engineered it, um, and which they were aware of. Um, and uh, uh, the biggest problem that one had in those days is... Well, a problem, I'd say the biggest, is, uh, and certainly there are a lot of changes, the type of wire change, you, you know, want to use pushback wire. Um, but among the, the difficulties um, was, we, you remember games had EPROMs with the memory in them. Yeah. What you may not remember is the early games didn't have EPROMs, they had ROMs. Mass ROMs, and the lead time was significant to get those ROMs. Um, and they weren't, it wasn't you programmed them yourselves, they came from a factory already programmed. And you weren't going to update that program, you know, uh, so forth. And so then when we finally got ROMs for pinball, now we want to make the next game, which was Stingray? What was our second game? You know what? I'm brain dead there. I'll look uh, it up for you when you go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So, any event, uh, we didn't have ROMs. We didn't have ROMs well ordered. So, uh, I and my father totally disagreed with me. And, of course, I was the president. He was the part-time vice president. And, yeah, uh, Stingray, by the way. Yeah, I was Stingray. And so, we, uh, I said, here, we'll wire it. The rules were... Basically, we'll stack switches, and if we had a roller, a rollover did A, and a star did B, we'll stack those switches, and now that rollover did A give ten thousand points, and B light such and such, you know, and we'll have a double stack rollover, and we 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 did things like that, and Sam of course said no, you can't do that, so I also put a, a flipper in the middle of the play field and showed it to him. And that, that was sort of distracting. And he said, uh, you know, uh, oh, well, you can't do the flipper. So we forgot about the switches. And we, we, we that's how we did it with ROMs temporarily. But that was a big problem. You were limited because you had to decide what you were making. And the lead time was significant to get to get mass ROMs and difficult. I was would, you, would you have used the same, same ROM for, for multiple games then, really? Uh, we did it a little bit in the beginning. Thereafter, no. I did. A, I can't tell you how many times I did that. It was just the one time or more. You got to remember, guys. You're asking me about 40, 50 years ago. Well, that's well, it's astonishing you that you've got the recall from, from that time. But we 50 years ago. 50, we're trying to make the most of it. 1976, 77. So that's what's what's you subtracting? Is that 40, 50, 40-some years ago, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Shit. And you're still very sharp, I have to say. So. <laughs> yeah, you have, you have great recall of all these details, which is uh, is amazing, considering how, how many things, how, how many different aspects of the, the business you've been in over the years. But, um, so you're making pinball games. You've moved from electromechanical to solid-state games. Um and then the video game boom kind of kicked in um, in the in the late seventies up yeah. to about nineteen eighty, um, and you ended up building um, quite a lot of video games as well. I mean, yeah, we did. Tell us how that happened. We had some of our own, and we, well, you had to. 
Uh, we had some of our own, and we had uh, a lot of Konami games. Our own, our best of our own, of course, was Berserk and Frenzy. Yeah, yeah. And I had a, I had a boat, a, a, an expensive boat in those days. Uh, now I have an old cheap boat, uh, but I had an expensive boat, and it was named Evil Otto. Um, and it was named Evil Otto because. Evil Otto paid for that boat. <laughs> yeah, if you remember Evil Otto in Berserk. It was was this um, sort of ownership of, of various forms of transport? Something which um, you know we mentioned earlier about Harry Williams having his plane. You've got your boat. Um, it, oh, was this the kind of thing with pinball, pinball manufacturer uh, um, no, owners? No, no. What you really want to do? You want to ask Gomez and 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 uh, oh, well, yeah. about no. cars. Sure. Right. Yeah, well, still, I, 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 I mean, see to it. Me, to me, all cars are good if the top goes down. That's all that counts. <laughs> right. So, um, um, what I'm curious about, uh, because it, I, I tried to research it and I couldn't find it clear, but um, is it correct that Stern Electronics at some point owned Williams, or is that not true? No, 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 no. That's not true. Mm-mm. But, but you, uh, bought, you bought Seaberg, though, didn't you? Yes, we, yeah, we own Seaberg. We own Seaberg for a while and then and then sold it off. Yes, but Seaberg well, didn't own Williams. I bought, I bought it out of a bankruptcy. <laughs> I'm starting to see a pattern emerging. But oh, yeah. um, well, we also we we also at that company we had an, uh, a video game uh, sub. That also did all our printed circuit boards vertically integrated, and that was called Electronic Sound. No, that's wrong. That was another company. It was called Elect. Oh, God. It was called. It was. Hold on, I got to hit Shelly. I'm having a. <laughs> uh, oh. Hey, Shell. What was it? <laughs> it's great having all these resources on tap. <laughs> Shelley is right there next to next to Gary to be able to answer these questions. Yes. Yeah, that's it. It was it was URL, which was Universal Research Lab, which is they were just a few you know few minutes from where we are now. We also had uh, out of a bankruptcy. I bought August J. Johnson, which yes. was Hotleaf's cabinet company. Mm. So Stern was a conglomerate of uh, of companies that we acquired that were distressed. Right. So um, since you just asked, uh, you went next door and asked uh, Shelley yeah. Sachs. Um, um, that sort of makes me wonder: How long have you known Shelley Sachs? Hey, Shelley, <laughs> you got to come in here. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 So where did the where did the two of you first meet? Okay, and, Shelley. And when? How how long have I known Shelley Sachs? Here's Shelley. You got you got Jonathan and Martin on the. On Hi guys. The, Hi, Hi Shelley. Shelley. Hi, February first, nineteen seventy nine. Wow, <laughs> it's etched into your memory. Wow. Yeah. And, and where was that? What well, was the occasion? I had been working at Montgomery Wards in labor relations. Wasn't going anywhere. I was trying to be a buyer. I passed their their stuff, then they discontinued it. And I had a friend at the time who knew that Stern was looking for an admin person. 
And so I said, what the hell? And the rest is history. Right. And I started out with uh, working with, I didn't have Gary right away. The first few months he had Fran. Oh, yeah, Fran, I remember. I had Sam and Larry Siegel. And then I inherited Gary and eventually (laughs) Stephen Kaufman and Tom Campbell and Ben Ricchetti. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. And Ron Monzo. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Lots of people. Shelly, you remember when we redid The Office over at the Old Stern, when we were down on diversity? Yeah. And I had the big glass wall. Yeah, I yeah. sat in front of it. Yeah, you sat in front of it, and I was going to make it one-way glass so you couldn't see it and I could see you. I don't remember you talking about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you pitched a fit. Oh, well, that's probably, what it was. I probably did. <laughs> I probably did. Yeah, yeah. 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 So we've been together. How long does that make it? I don't know. 79? Uh, 50? No. no. 40? 41 years? 41? Yeah, it's over 41 years. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. All right. There you go. Well, yeah. did you not have a party for your 40th anniversary? We used to go to lunch. We don't do that anymore. Yeah, we have to do that. I think I've got to go to lunch more often. Well, once they open up being able to eat, yeah, eat, go, eat yeah. inside. Oh, that's true, yeah. <laughs> right. eat outside. We I eat still outside. eat outside. Yeah, we eat outside. Outside. Outside summertime, it's okay. Outside's fine. Yeah. Right. Except for last night outside. Oh, my God. It was, it was, the, the sky opened up. We had the rem- we had remnants of uh, Cristobal, the uh, hurricane or whatever it was. Oh. Right. Yeah. Oh, my phone just went dead. Uh. Well, at least your Skype is still working. Yes. Well, no, I'm not on my phone. I'm on the computer. Yeah, yeah. You, we have a good. You're on the real line, the computer line. That's right. why it's working. That's right. why it's working. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. Um, uh, thank you, Shelley, for uh, for for uh, uh, stepping in and clarifying that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. So, 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 what happened at the end with Stern Electronics? Uh, why did what the company shut down? I know there was the the the, the, the infamous uh, halt to the uh, the video game uh, boom. All of a sudden, everything uh, the the market completely saturated. Let's yeah, let's put it like that. That stopped, and uh, we just you know we live by the sword, die by the sword. Shall I say we you know we grew very very uh, big. We had. We had uh, had some investment, getting ready to uh, uh, preparing, uh, hoping to go public, and then we didn't. It didn't work, and that was years before, and we d- never recovered from that completely. And we've learned a lot. We miss. It's called missing the window. It happens. So means that uh, we have to continue with uh, this, and, and and that seemed to have worked out just fine. Right. Um, having said that, you you. Let's see. After that, you remember that uh, that uh, I uh, uh, we worked out of my uh, I did some different sales and what have you. We worked out of my townhouse. Shelley and I put together the business plan for Date East Pinball and then got Date East interested. But we were also doing uh, we were working with Video Vendor, which was a vending machine that um, for rental and return of videotape. Remember Vendor. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a big deal in those days, and we we had uh, uh, we did a conversion kit for pinball and proved the that that concept was no good. Oh, yeah. Which is a Gamatron yeah. game that you did with uh, Pinstar. Yeah, it was a you know it was it, Gamatron was a narrow body version of Flight Two Thousand. 
Right. It actually, in my opinion, played better than Flight 2000. Harry Williams will tell you when you make a wide-body game, there's so much more geometry left to right that you have to fill up. So, A, it's expensive because you got to buy lots of extra parts. Mm-hmm. And, B, it just doesn't play the same. It's like trying to make te- play tennis on a round tennis court um, or trying to play singles on a, on a doubles court. Um, so... Uh, it turned out when we, we when we narrowed that game, and uh, I worked with Steve Kirk, uh, and uh, but Joe Juice, who had been a mechanical engineer for us, and later for Williams, a great guy, great mechanical engineer. Both both these guys have passed away. Um, so it, it actually, in my opinion, played better. Now I'm a casual player, but it played better. Uh, it didn't have quite the same mechanism. Ball walker. We used existing ejects. And we made them over at um, at uh, game uh, game plan. Uh, it, I think it played better than Flight 2000, and certainly Flight 2000, one of my favorite games. You know, if you I typically talk about what's my favorite game, it's what's on the line. But if I have to go back, I'm going to give you Flight 2000 as 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 uh, one of my favorites. Um, and um, uh, so I think it I think it was better as a narrow body. We proved the concept didn't work. Because why would you take your money, buy a kit, take your used pinball machine, put this kit in it and have something without a resale value when you could trade in your game and buy a high speed? Mm. Right. Well, we'll, 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 um, high speed at the time. We'll come to Pinstar and, um, and Steve Kirk as well in, in, in just a moment. But can I just flip back because right at the end of um, Stone Electronics... There was, well, ever since, I think, at that point, there's, there's been a, I, I want to say a popular misconception, but maybe it's not a misconception, that it was, it was a game Orbiter 1, which was so expensive that it caused the downfall of the company. I think you've just explained that's not the case. Not, but. Absolutely not. Now, Orbiter 1 was neat. I worked with Dixie Reinhardt and his partner, and Dixie, his partner, and whose name slips my mind, they were plastics engineers. They had designed the toilet for the space shuttle. Oh, wow. And they did uh, a lot of uh, uh, different, elect- uh, different plastic stuff. They did boots, ski boots. And Dixie was living in a teepee behind his house in, well, I don't know why he wasn't in the house, in a teepee behind his house in Aspen, Colorado. And we worked with these guys trying to do something different. Uh, and I think we had a, you know, a concept that we never turned into a game. It was a novelty, but it never became a game. Um, and no, it was it, no, it, we were trying something different. You know, it wasn't our, it wasn't our last hurrah. No, uh, uh-uh. no. Dixie, I spoke to. I was on the mountain, and coincidentally, he called me. I paid him off in in uh, in, uh, in games uh, at the end. And he reminded me of that. He called me. Uh, he just by coincidence, I hadn't talked to him in decades, and he he was I was on the top of Vale, and then he called. Uh, he had he had designed a plastic boot shoe for the Japanese company and sold it to them, and I guess live happily ever after off of that. Uh, and then recently at Toy Fair, I ran into a, a guy who um, who told me that Dixie passed away in the last year or so. Oh. Uh, mm. That wasn't him. 
Yeah. So Dixie has passed away. Uh, but no, that that's that wasn't the end of it. That that wasn't the cause of it. No. When you see that ball go behind the flipper, yeah. come back on the play field. I mean, it's just, you know, it's we wild. tried, uh, you know, we're a little bit more conservative, but uh, we tried a few things that were very novel and, okay, maybe they weren't the smartest thing, you know. Uh, pinball is a pinball machine. Right. So, um, Orbiter uh, 1, that, that, that game came out in uh, uh, 1982, but I think... Eventually, Stern Electronics um, uh, sort of closed down in '84. Or um, yes, that's correct. '84. Right. My uh, father died in '84, also. And was that related to each other? No, 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 it wasn't. So, so what happened to the? No, he had been actually. He had been in a nursing home for a year or two at that point. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. You know, if I, if I, I'm going to say, you know, you can see this is a little weird to say, but maybe he should have died a year sooner. His last year was not a rewarding year. Hmm. Yeah, often the case when people go into nursing homes, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so. he couldn't, you know, he, 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 you know, prior to that, he, when he was living at home, he had, some, you know, a, a caretaker living with him and, you know, taking right. him around and what have you. And hmm. at what age did your father die? Uh, he was 72. So you already outlived your father, in the sense that yeah, you, you, you're yeah, already older. And in, in a very good shape, I have to say. Well, you know, I've lost some weight recently, too. I went on a diet when I was stuck at home, and I've exercised more. Uh, so I've lost about 15, 20 pounds. Wow. And I said, I've got to digress for you for a minute. And I, I have my physical on Monday, the 15th. Although all the all the blood tests have been done already, so I know the result. Now he's just got to listen to my heart and this or that. And I, um, I when I, I started with this doctor when I was uh, sixty, and I'd moved back in the city. And I said to him, I, I picked somebody younger than me because I was wanted somebody who was going to survive me. I didn't want to be changing doctors because my doctor was older than me and died. So I got a younger doctor. Now he's you know. He's head of the, the department. Um, and um, I said to him at the time, well, okay, I'm 60. I guess I've got uh, probably 10 or 20 years. You know, I'll be uh, 70 or 80 uh, when I pass. Uh, you know, uh, and I said, well, actually, I've made it to 60. So maybe I, that gives me a little bit more. I've got, I've got uh, 15 to 25, instead of 10 to 20, 15 to 25 years, you know, 75 to 85. And he said to me, well, 75 is the average. So he didn't give me one single day for having <laughs> lived already to 60, you know, and changing the percentages. So oh, I, uh, I must be on borrowed time, but I intend to borrow it as long as I can. Oh. Right. Excellent. So so, so, so back getting to back to, to uh, uh, the timeline, um, what happened to the the assets and the rights uh, of Stern Electronics and and their IP and so on? The uh, the the assets the bank foreclosed and the bank was in worse shape than we were. If you remember the the uh, there was a banking crisis at the time, um, and, you know, and you remember the interest rates had gone up to double digits at one point, and um, so the assets were sold uh, at a foreclosure. Yeah, which is factoring all that. The IP 
uh, I bought from the buyer. So uh, my ex-wife and I own the old Stern IP. Right, and and at the point of the closure, what was it? One of the, was it sort of a controlled winding down of the company? You know that you, you knew it was it was coming to to that point, and uh, there were no yeah, yeah, lines we, coming down the line. Shelly and I worked with them. Uh, yes, it was sort of controlled as much as they're controlled. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, so there weren't a whole bunch of uh, new game designs that were, you know. Oh no, 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 no. No, this, no, no. There was nothing that was not built right. up. Right. Okay. So, so, so yeah. the equipment you know, the was old artwork, and the old berserk belongs to me. Uh, that kind of thing. Right. And have you, have you still got that um, that artwork and? Um, the file well, no, 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 it belongs to me, but nobody's got copies of most of it. But if you have a copy of it, it's you know, you want to reproduce it, technically, it's mine. It's I'm not going to say that I do a bunch with it. I don't have old ROMs or anything for an old, I don't own an old berserk. No, and uh, and I guess playfield designs are not copyrightable, is that right? So, the, or, art, or the, art, is, the art is copyrightable, the layout is not. Right, so of course that uh, that came in rather handy when it came to uh, to making the Beatles game. Well, I I, I own that, you know, I, I own that playfield. Right. So. But, but you know, but you know, there was a you guys remember uh, a lawsuit between Bally and Williams on uh, Hyperball Rapid Fire. Mm. Yes. And basically, uh, you know, one tried to sue the other on a on a playfield uh, on a copyright, and they said, "No, no, the copyright judge said, uh, uh copyrights on the art, and you have different art." Right. Okay. So, um, uh, so Stern Electronics uh, closed down. What happened to the uh, the equipment that was sold off, and any inventory to machinery auction? Right. Right. Just, so, just so it's not that, that it's not like uh, when you started Data East, you still had all this equipment from Stern Electronics. No, 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 uh-uh. no. We okay. build everything new. Well, thanks very much, Gary. We're just going to take a little break there, and uh, we have, still have a lot to discuss, um, particularly the the more recent events in the Stern Pinball Factory. So we will be back talking to Gary Stern and continuing the celebrations of his 75th birthday with our unique and exclusive podcast interview with Gary in part two, which will be coming up soon. <laughs> 